0: Welcome to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we talk about modern challenges and future solutions. Brought to you by the Network and
1: Edge Solutions Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we talk about modern challenges and future solutions. Brought to you by the Network and Edge Solutions Group. In this episode, we're going to be exploring future of data movement, trending use cases, and the innovation enabled by the Intel's Network and Edge Solution Group. I'm your host, Gabrielle, and today I'm joined by Chin Feng, PhD, founder and CEO of Zetter, and Michael McManus, who's Director of Precision Medicine and Principal Engineer at Intel Corporation, also with a PhD. Uh, so welcome, gentlemen. So excited for today's conversation.
2: Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. All
1: right. So uh, both Michael and Chin, if you could go ahead and give our audience just a little brief bio on your background uh, qualifications, uh, where you've uh, where you've garnered your experience from, and just maybe what we might be talking about today.
2: I am a longtime startup guy. I joined Intel. Uh, um, I was a customer, and I joined Intel about seven years ago, almost eight. And so my background is um, in science and, and scientific software. And so I did a lot of work in these various startups over the years uh so i think that that experience along with uh my um hardware design experience for various systems is is part of the reason i'm here at intel uh in the life sciences and healthcare space
1: fantastic and Chen, my
0: journey actually is a little bit different so uh, since uh 2015 my uh then startup, now it's a small business, Satar, and uh, was engaged to, uh, support the ambitious startup movement requirements of a uh, Linux coherent light source tool hosted at the Slack National uh, Accelerator Laboratory. It's a uh, one of DOE's premier exascale computing preparation project. So, uh, since then, um, we faced so many uh, challenging data movement requirements. And so we luckily with uh, sweat and uh, <laughs> I guess not blood, sweat and time, we solved that them all. And Huang Rai met Michael uh, two years ago. Uh, he said, Chin, what you guys have done should give the HIS uh, vertical a lot of headroom for their future growth. I think uh, you should uh, come and work with us, collaborate. And uh, with us, I said, sure. And because of that, then uh, things have been moving along well. And uh, now uh, we also have a large uh, life science customers, too. So that all, all the dots are connected
1: this way. Fantastic to hear.
2: And so, Gabrielle, I'll just say that when I met Chin, the first thing I told him was, you know, when I started Intel, the new guy project they gave me was a data transfer node. And we kind of gave up on it because it was hard to productize at the times. And, and so when I saw what he had as a software solution, it just, we immediately uh, bonded in terms of understanding the mutual or mutual understanding of, of its, its uh, need in the market. So um, two years later, we're, we've got this nice product together.
1: Wonderful. Two years later, the Dream Team was created. It's wonderful to hear uh, partnerships of great value. And, you know, today companies are generating, you know, ever-growing amounts of data. Could you possibly help provide some context on maybe some of the types of data that health and life science organizations are generating and what the data is essentially being used for?
2: Sure. So I am deeply involved in a lot of these areas. So genomics is a huge source of data these days. And uh, that's one kind of thing you'll seek either in the clinic or a large amount of it is in uh, research and pharmaceutical companies. You also have um, data that scientists are using to understand the three-dimensional structure of proteins that are being studied for as part of the drug development process and drug, you know, some research into drug development. And so those are often um, dealing with things like cryo-electron microscopy which is a microscope that uses electrons to image molecules, and it produces a lot of data. There's high-content screening that drug discovery companies use to test their um, candidate small molecules that could be drugs but aren't yet drugs. And then in the health side, you've got a lot of medical imaging. You've got ultrasound. You've got CT scan, scans. You've got MRI. So all of these um, are starting to be used Together in a sort of multiomic approach, meaning many different kinds of data being used together, and so this is what's complicating some of the you know some of the data um, movement and data computation issues that people have.
1: Well, as you know, today's healthcare devices and scientific instruments are just becoming. So powerful, more powerful than probably ever, and just capable of generating these vast amounts of data that we're talking about, but in a single session sometimes. So, can you elaborate and maybe provide some context to this? And uh, what do these instruments do? And how big are the file sizes?
2: Yeah, well, I I think if I start with the easy stuff, uh, most of us have had an MRI scan or or a CT scan for various health reasons. Those things are taking you know pictures of you know the interior of your body and and x-rays too right so we we those are easily understandable but and they aren't super large uh, but you tend to have a lot of them like in a ct scan you will have like hundreds of slices each of them is an image right so so that's one thing but when you go to genomics for example genomics files a whole genome for a single person is about 350 gigabytes so if you're sequencing a lot of people, you multiply however many people you're sequencing times 350 gigabytes for your storage planning purpose. Um, the cryo-electron microscopy data sets are about a terabyte in size, and they are really movies, or, or what's recorded, and they're about a gigabyte apiece, and the average microscope can do a 1,000 of those movies per hour. And so that data then is, has to be you know, analyzed. So so those are just two good examples. Uh, there's plenty more, but I'll I'll stop there.
0: So I came from uh working with a DOE national labs. So just for your information, okay, for the detectors of a linear accelerator, the detectors can generate files. A single file can be as big as four terabytes. And so the rate is initially it's 10 terabytes per second, or one terabyte per second. So they have to do very aggressive data reduction to reduce that to the growth rate to 800 Gbps or 100 gigabytes per second. Now, we also work with uh, another data monster in the scientific world called uh Square Kilometer Array and has a two bases, one in uh, Perth, Australia, the other one in South Africa. That square kilometer ray project is anticipated to generate even a single file up to one petabyte in size. So that gives you a a good idea in the, uh, the various verticals, primarily in the research and the scientific world, the data rate grows, is really
2: <laughs> not so <campy. laughs> Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's somewhat daunting.
1: Oh, Daunting is one word for it because, I mean, there's just a, such a variance in all these data sets and, you know, lots of challenges to come with it, I'm sure. So that's my next question for you as a follow-up is what kind of challenges uh, do these data practitioners face when dealing uh, with these data sets?
0: So I think uh, on a human level, what I have seen, I would say human level, okay? The, the first one is a wasted time for IT staff researchers and scientists. And then as a result, the frustration and the loss of productivity. And then the third one is uh oftentimes is a disappointing outcomes. And this happens actually, especially when the data from high output biomedical instruments like what Michael mentioned are used, okay? so um, the the fundamental cause of this actually is that uh, moving data at a scale and speed uh, in modern times uh, you need an integrated understanding of storage computing networking and data mover software that's just a must and if you're viewing such endeavors as, say network along or software along which is very common this view always leads to suboptimal results and other consequences. If you don't mind, I'll give you two examples, very common one. You see, many people when ask, okay, how fast is your storage? And open answer, well, the vendor data sheets say they are like X bytes per second. But you see the attainable storage throughput depends on data sizes. It's not a constant. So typically, storage always produces uh, low throughput for very tiny files, especially lots of them, or huge files, okay? But in general, the awareness is not yet common. So the common complaint is, hmm, I have a pretty fast storage. How come I'm waiting so long? Then uh, another one is also very common. It's something we all know, Wi-Fi connections. You know, even at 5G, the, it's actually slower than 0.5 or half a gigabits per second. That means even at the line rate, uh, it's impossible to move more than five terabytes per day. Newer technology, Intel has it, like a Wi-Fi 6 may do in an appropriate uh, LAN environment much better. Uh, but uh, as the network gets faster, you also need faster storage to match up. So another often heard comment is, hmm, my notebook has the latest Wi-Fi. How come uh, your plugging old computers uh, does everything faster than mine? <laughs> See, that's two examples.
1: Well, could you perhaps share some further context into the current state of data movement as it is now? Most the current
0: uh, data movement efforts, okay, are still based on common practices. Uh, some have been around for decades, and uh, the but such practices and tools employed are often not ready for the modern uh, data growth okay so uh, also I think uh, many people think that data movements, different types uh, uh, are different use cases and therefore they need uh, different tools. but this leads to uh, the proliferation of data movement tools. And the low, low relevance of each tool and therefore higher cost, especially human cost, you have to buy more, right? You have to learn more. That's human cost. And so, and not to mention more complexities in dealing with the data movement-related task. Okay. Furthermore, this is very important. This is something Michael and I often talk about. The practitioners in many data-intensive uh, healthcare and uh, life science fields. Another word of the latest progress of the uh, uh, real-time data movements and data movements and the fast data uh, analytical computing are actually two sides of the same coin. So to get good results in a near in, in uh, pretty fast, you have to uh, do both fast. Okay. So at present, most efforts have gone to the analytical side. Therefore potential of the near real-time, results is not yet tapped fully.
1: Well, you know, Chin, Zetar is actually uniquely poised in a way that they can address some of these challenges that we've been talking about thus far. So could you maybe uh, help us by explaining how the service works and why it's just so different from other solutions?
0: First of all, it's a very uncommon, it's a design. It's a unified data mover. Uh, you can think about uh, using a Swiss Army knife as an example. It had, can handle many different tasks. Of course, Swiss Army knife is not really good at each task, but we try to be good at each task. The, the Because of this, it has a one uh, benefit immediately because The single tool can do so many things. You have less tools to learn, less tools to buy. It's uh, more cost-effective. It's also simplified things. Okay. The high efficiencies allows uh, people to do their job faster, not to mention with uh, Intel's help. Okay. We got this uh, real-time capability um, developer sooner than we anticipated. And so now we make the, uh, the data movement, real-time data movement, readily available to anyone who needs it. And then this will have great benefits to accelerate the uh, healthcare and the life science uh, research effort going forward. And then, of course, this will save people's lives much better and make the society more healthier. I Definitely, that's our hope.
2: Uh, so, I mean, I, I deal a lot with the pharmaceutical customers and and more and more of the work that they're doing uh, it c- involves collecting data from an instrument over a long period of time. And they're expensive experiments. And having an ability to be um, real time in the sense that you can look at the early results of your experiment because the data coming off the instrument is being moved to a place where it can be computed in in near real time. And you can look at those early results and say, do I really want to keep this instrument collecting data for another day or two? Or can I assess that the results are not quite what I expected and stop the experiment? That's hard to do now. And having real time or near real time data movement um, between generation point and the compute the point where you do the compute is enabling uh, a lot more efficiency in the use of some of these uh, expensive scientific instruments.
1: Well thank you for offering that perspective as well Michael because you know both of you have two uh, different perspectives so to speak on the future of data movement and uh, that's what I ultimately I want to know about is you know what does this future look like uh, could you give us maybe some examples uh
0: in my view uh, most significant data intensive uh, healthcare and life science research effort involves two parts, the uh, data movement part and uh, the analytical part Uh, to get the results fast. uh, Both sides, they are of the same, uh, both sides are of the same coin. They need to be done fast to truly uh, save time and to uh, get the uh, cost to save money. But uh, like I hinted a while ago, with this uh, uh, data streaming, Capability for fast-growing, live uh, machine-generated data, and to and to do it efficiently, in, even in a very uh, highly bandwidth-efficient so-called chain pattern. Okay, that is, you don't need to squeeze into the same bandwidth multiple traffic streams. You can use them like a chain. So you use the full bandwidth of one second, then use the full bandwidth of another second. There's no significant delay between such chain, chain reactions. Okay. So that can really create some, uh, uh new, uh, encourage, uh, the researchers and scientists to create some new algorithm that takes advantage of this, which will, uh, this will lead to what uh, Michael uh, just mentioned, okay, for new, how to utilize the new instrument, expensive instruments, more efficient, cost-effectively. And then, uh, you know, in the old time, we have tapes, we call them reels, right? <laughs> now we can uh, get away from the real time <laughs> but get into the new mm-hmm. real time, okay? So, and I also foresee that uh, uh, using AI is a way to uh, uh address this uh, shortage of uh, uh lacking comprehensive and the correct understanding of the uh, infrastructure and data movement software. I mean, nobody has the luxury to learn many things in this busy world. So but why don't we just let them stay in with their domain and uh, let them focus on what they are good at and uh, instead of IT aspects? Okay. So and the other thing is really we, uh, everybody likes simplicity. So by using the AI and the progress of the software, uh, we can do this. Data movement is by nature invisible to people. So I think it's a fitting to uh, make this part, uh, that is data movement more transparent to as many practi- practitioners as possible. And I tell you one thing, I look forward to uh, put our hands on Intel Arc CPUs. It should be very valuable, okay, again,
2: to this future effort.
1: And Michael, what are your thoughts on where the future is headed in data movement?
2: Uh, well, there that's a good question, obviously. Uh, it should be part of the infrastructure. Uh, this is perhaps a, just supporting what Chin has been saying. It should be seamless to the user, but... Uh, I also think if you, if you, from a computational point of view on the science side, people tend to generate data and then they move it and then they compute on it. And this is a very common pattern. And when you have data movement and you have, if that's reliable and you have an ability to do it in a near real-time way, one thing people can start thinking about in their algorithms is being conscious of the fact that that their data is being generated and streamed into a computational engine. And that enables you to use the, to start the computation while the data is being generated, rather than waiting for the entire uh, amount of data to be produced, moved, and then computed on. And I, I think so people have this opportunity to reimagine some of their algorithms uh, and think differently about how these computational tools might work.
1: All right. Well, you know, as we start nearing the end of this conversation here, for those that are listening in for the first time and are hearing us discuss these challenges and solutions, um, maybe what are some ways uh, that those listening to the podcast can reach out and ask questions about everything we covered today? Because I know it was a lot. Uh, Do they reach out to you individually through your company, uh, Chin?
0: Uh, Either way, I'm pretty reachable. So uh, just uh, uh, I'm happy to uh, announce my email address here. And I only have a one phone, so I cannot take multiple phone calls at the same time, but emailing me. I promise to be responsive, and I think this will help people too.
1: Wonderful. and uh, Michael
2: yeah, same for me. I, I, I spend a lot of time with customers and potential customers, so I'm happy to to be a focal point for people if they want to reach out to me. and I think uh, we probably will. Have a lot to talk about, yeah. I, for for many of these customers who are suffering with some of these data movement issues,
0: yeah. And uh, just to supplement what Michael said, instrument vendors too, because I um, mean their customers are pressure. Hey, how can I use this expensive gig? Okay, more effectively. And why I said expensive? I'll give you just some a quick idea. The latest generation of the CT, okay and the latest generation of the uh, cryo microscopes they cost almost 1000 uh, 10,000 uh, dollars 10 million dollars each piece
1: so yeah when you make a purchase of that size you'd like to know the optimal oh, way to absolutely. use it i I would think so
2: right and michael you're going to say something yeah i was just going to say i mean it, it's i mean, you you're buying the instrument to generate the data and you with today's data generation you would like those instrument providers to consider making the movement of the data part of the solution that they're selling so that the users who basically do running compute on this data have a this facile way to go from the experiment right to their actual computation to get their results And and I think that's that's the difference. You can have an infrastructure inside of an organization, but you can also have tools, data movement tools that are part of the instruments uh, of content that they provide to the customer.
1: Oh, for sure, and that is definitely what sets you apart from others in the industry. It's certainly unique.
0: Intel has a very nifty product called IPU, which avoids so-called forklift. And it's so easy just plug it in into an instrument, and the instrument can do wonders for data movement very cost effective.
1: Oh, wow! It's cost effective and
2: effective. Oh, yeah. Close. Well, yes.
1: Well, that closes up the conversation for today. So a big thank you to Michael and Shin for joining us on the podcast today to talk about the future of data movement among others and tech. Uh, we've learned a lot, so thank you both. Yeah, thank, thank you, you Gabriel. Gabriel. Of course. And I want to thank our audience as well for tuning into health and life sciences at the edge, where we talk about modern challenges and future solutions brought to you by the network and edge solutions group. And to hear the latest thought leadership from Intel, please subscribe to health and life sciences at the edge to stay up to date with every new episode. Thanks for watching.